All right, we welcome you to part number 10 in our series coming through the book of Acts. So as we are studying heroes of the faith, this is what uh, we are realizing is that God throughout church history, really throughout the millennia, his pattern is to raise up certain individuals, ordinary people and use them in extraordinary ways. And especially do we see that in the book of Acts. And the key verse for the book of Acts is Acts chapter one, verse eight, where it says, you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say they will be my witnesses. The whole main point of the book of Acts is this is the birth of the church. We are his witnesses. And as we're going through this book, we're seeing that God is wanting us to follow after the heroes of the faith that are in scripture given to us as examples to emulate. So this morning, we're going to study uh, someone that gets overlooked a lot. Actually, when you study or you hear preaching or teaching on this passage, seldom does this guy get talked about. And maybe you can relate to him because maybe you feel like you get overlooked a lot. And his name's Ananias. And we're going to see, though, from his life, a hero of the trait quality that, that emerges that God wants to see in every one of our lives. And uh, I, I guarantee your family needs you to rise up and live out this trait. Your marriage, at work, in your church. Whenever any believer lives out what we see in Ananias, they become a hero of the faith in that moment. So let me give you the hero of the faith trait to begin with, and it's this. One of the most heroic things you can do is to be willing when called upon. To be a hero of the faith, you don't have to have great ability. You have to have great what? Availability. You have to have a willingness, a willing heart. I, I love these scriptures that I've given to you in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says, for the eyes of the Lord reigns throughout the earth. This is God. This is how he looks on planet earth. His eyes range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So as you look at your heart this morning, as we begin to get into this trait, is your heart fully inclined to be willing to follow God? I like, you know, Christopher Reeve, also Superman. How, you remember, how many of you remember that era of Christopher Reeve? <laughs> That's Superman. There's been many different Supermans, right? But he said this, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. So whatever obstacles you're facing this morning, and all of us are facing obstacles, is there a willingness to endure despite what you are facing? If so, that is moving in the direction of being heroic. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, God is speaking here and he says, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. I looked for someone who was willing to stand in the gap on my behalf, but couldn't find anyone. Heroes are hard to come by. But this morning, we're gonna study a man who was willing to stand in the gap. So as we begin this morning, could I just ask you a question? If God calls you, are you willing to stand in the gap? Is that a trait that you are seeing 
emerge in your life, this willingness to follow God, no matter what the call. Let's begin by reading in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to work our way toward introducing our hero of the faith this morning, but let's start with verse 1. Acts chapter 9, hopefully you're there. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, the last time we mentioned Saul was in chapter 7. I'd like you to turn back there real quick. Chapter 7 of Acts. And uh, Saul, you recall, was complicit in the martyrdom of Stephen, the first Christian to be martyred for their faith. Saul was involved in that. Verse 39, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, he died. And then verse 1 of chapter 8 says, and Saul approved of their killing of him. Saul, before he was saved, was the number one most feared Middle Eastern terrorist. Saul was the original, the first Middle Eastern terrorist of Christianity. Saul, before he was saved, was the number one most feared terrorist that brought terror into the heart of Christians everywhere in the first century. And notice Saul's zeal to persecute Christians. Go back to Acts 9. I mean, look how this chapter begins. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Can you imagine the heart of someone who's described as breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples? Well, to what degree was Saul absolutely fixated on oppressing and persecuting Christians. He went to the high priest, that's the guy in charge of the temple, and he, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, before the term Christianity is applied to Christians, it was called the way, then it became Christianity later. Remember, the Christian faith is just born in Acts chapter 2, and we come to Acts chapter 9, it's called the way. And Saul is so angry at Christians, this new uh, faith that's emerging, he kills Stephen, is complicit in that, and he's going after other Christians to drag them off to jail. And, he, and, and literally, Damascus is in Syria. Some of you have seen with me on the Golan Heights, you stood there and we pointed to you North Syria and you've literally, I've shown you where Damascus is. You can see it in the distance. And Saul is not, you know, content with persecuting Christians in Israel. He's literally going to other countries where there are synagogues, where there are men or women that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem to be prosecuted. Wow. I want, I want to just make this statement before we read further, and it's this. No one is beyond the Lord's reach. Amen? No one. Even a Middle Eastern terrorist like Saul. Notice what happens, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, and here's a picture of the road to Damascus. Again, I pointed this out to many of you before. We've seen this. 
And as Paul, as he's, he's walking this road going north to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven, the Shekinah glory of God, flashes around Saul. And it's so powerful, he literally falls to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Saul did, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He's blinded. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat. He did not drink anything. Saul was dumbfounded by what he experienced. I mean, he's, he's in shock. The God he thought he was defending, he was in fact persecuting. Can you imagine this moment in Saul's life? So sincere, so zealous for his faith, but he's actually persecuting his God. A few months ago, I was in Ethiopia, and I'm with meetings. In one meeting, I'm with 40 ex-Muslim terrorists. 40 of them, who in fact, many of them had killed Christians just months prior. And I'm sitting in a room with them, and they traveled to meet me at great risk to their own lives. And they're telling me their stories about Jesus has revealed himself to them in dreams and in visions and in miracles. And all of them are surrendering their life to Jesus Christ, and now they are preaching the faith that they once tried to destroy and I'm sitting in this meeting, and it's just amazing what God is doing in Ethiopia, in many Muslim countries in our world today. Saul was told to go to Damascus, and then you'll be told what to do next. So for three days, he's blind, and he's fasting, he's no doubt praying, and he's seeking God, and he's perplexed, and he's confused. What a perfect time for a hero to enter Who is it that right now is confused about their life and the direction it's taking and they're crying out to God and they're in need of a hero entering in? Will you be that hero? Will you be willing? Willing to go, to say, to be God's witness in that situation? Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. In Castro Valley, there was a disciple named, put your name there. The Lord called to them, to him in a vision, Ananias. And, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named you, Ananias, come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Imagine being asked by God to go to the number one terrorist of Christianity and talk to him 
Would you be willing? Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man. All the harm he's done to the holy people, uh, your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here now all the way to Damascus with authority from the chief priest to arrest those who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Imagine Ananias. We're not going to preach about Saul, Ananias, just because of his willingness to go, he was used of God to bring Saul, the great apostle Paul, to faith in Jesus Christ, and then to baptize the apostle Paul. Wow. Why? He was willing just willing. Here's a principle in your notes. Your willingness can lead to the greatest moment of your life. Your willingness can lead to the greatest moments of your life. And conversely, your unwillingness can miss the greatest moment of your life. Just think about that. We're going to dig into this trait of willingness deeply in just a second. But I want you to think about it. And, and I want you to think about this over the years in your life in a very general sense right now, if you're watching on video. Just would you answer this question at your tables? Can you share about someone who became a hero? I don't care what context. Sports, military, it doesn't matter. In your personal life, in a family, it doesn't matter. Someone that became heroic just because they chose to be willing. Because they were willing when called upon. Take a moment and just talk about that. Then we'll dive deeper into this. Talk about that at your tables. One of the most heroic things you can do is just be willing when called upon. Ananias often gets overlooked. I bet you this is the first sermon you've ever heard about Ananias. But there's a lot we can learn from his life. I mean, I look at his life and it just jumps off the pages as someone that just is so exemplary and someone I want to become like. Because your willingness can lead to the greatest moments of your life. The greatest moment of your life is just one step of willingness away. The enemy is doing everything he can to fight against you being willing. You know that? What is God speaking to you about right now? Let's process this. I want to give you three marks of heroic willingness. Because heroic willingness doesn't just like you wake up one day and there it is. It's actually cultivated. 
And we're going to discover from Ananias' life these traits in his life that caused him to be willing and led to an amazing moment in his life. And we just need to follow his example. Three marks of heroic willingness. Number one, heroic willingness begins with discipleship. Now notice how the Bible describes Ananias. In verse 10, it says, In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. In Castro Valley, there was a disciple named... You put your name there. God sees you. My question for you is this. Are you a disciple? The Bible does not say that in Damascus, there was a believer. There was a Christian. No, the term disciple is used. Disciples different than a Christian. Now, in many places around the world, they're synonymous. But in the United States, there are Christians, there are believers, or followers, and there are disciples. A disciple, it, it's kind of like two sides of a coin. One side says, I am a learner, and the other says, I am a follower. A disciple is someone who learns things in God's word and then puts them into practice. A believer is just someone who learns, 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 and never lives, 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 lives. A disciple is a learner and a liver. Is that you? Do you have that reputation? Ananias had that reputation of being the disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, discipleship is God's ordained process that helps you and me develop, watch this, a willing heart. All of us have by nature an unwilling heart. You see this in my granddaughter. Any baby when they're born, we would love their first words to be mommy or daddy. I would especially like it to be grandpa. But their first words are what? No, no. It's just rebellion in the heart of everyone. We're not willing. We just aren't. You see it in a little baby. All of us, by nature, we're lazy. We want our way. We don't want God's way. We're not willing. We want to do things our way in our time schedule and all that kind of stuff. All of us have that. If you want to grow your willingness, you need to grow your discipleship. It's, it's very simple. The greater your discipleship, the greater your willingness will become to follow God when he calls on you for an amazing assignment. Discipleship, it's kind of like going to the gym. And in the gym, you're learning to, you know, learn and then live and learn and live. And, and, and you're working that out and coming to followers, watching this teaching. I pray it's helpful for you in that you're living out what you're hearing. If you live out what you're hearing, praise the Lord, you're a disciple. If you just come here and it tickles your ears and it's just there and you're not living anything out, I'm sorry, but you're gonna struggle ever being heroic and being willing to follow God when he taps you on the shoulder to do something amazing, like lead the apostle Paul to Christ and baptize him. Wow. Um, a couple of months ago, this younger guy came to me. I mean, anyone in their 40s is young now. <laughs> and this guy's in his 30s. 
Isn't that crazy? You know how that works? So this guy, uh, he's like, hey, Mark, will you disciple me? And a lot of people, you know, ask me, and, and often I just say, hey, come through LTS, you know, or I've written a 20-hour discipleship that I teach. And if you want to meet, you know, as you're going through that, we can talk at a deeper level. He's like, man, I really would love to be discipled by you. And I pray about it. And I say, are you, are you sure you're up for it? <laughs> and I said, well, let's, let's start with lunch. So we got to lunch. And I'm like, tell me about your life. And he's telling me about his life. And it comes up that he's living with his girlfriend, sleeping with her. And uh, so at, by the time he's done with all this, he's like, so how can I be discipled? And I said, you really want to know, huh? I said, you either move out or on Monday, it was Friday when we met, we do your wedding and I'll be ready to do it. go for it. You marry her. Whoa. It's like, if you're not willing to follow the Lord with his revealed will for your life, I mean, the things that are obvious, don't ever expect you're going to have an Ananias moment where you're going to have an opportunity to lead someone like the Apostle Paul to Christ. Are you following me? It's just like, you know, it, this is simple, and actually he's like, man, I... He goes, you're absolutely right. I need to get that area. And to his credit, he's now married. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Married her. I'm like, that is a disciple. You see, discipleship, when God begins to speak to you, you're learning things, and then you begin living it. Guess what? That is the training mechanism for building into your life a willingness to follow God. So when you hear that small voice, as you give in to that voice, as you yield to that voice, and oftentimes it's not easy, right? Because we're like, no, you know, that's kind of our heart. But as you continue to die to yourself and live for Christ and follow his way, you are cultivating a willing heart that will only lead to greater and greater and greater things. God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap. God wants to use you in great ways. But as you and I grow in our discipleship, man, it's what God uses to mold and shape our heart to become more and more and more and more willing. I, one of my favorite scriptures is Mark 1.17, where Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I just love that. I think it's the greatest invitation in the Bible, where God is just saying, hey, if you just simply follow me, it doesn't take rockets, a rocket scientist to be an awesome disciple follow God and he will make you. He'll make you the husband. He'll make you the wife. He'll make you the worker. He'll make you the witness. If you follow him and what he reveals to you with a willing heart, he will make you, shape you, mold you into the person, into the disciple that will just be used of God in amazing ways. It's true. Starts with the discipleship. And this is the first thing we're told about Ananias. In Damascus, there was a disciple named in Castro Valley. Does it say there was a disciple or does it say in Castro Valley? There was a believer. There was a churchgoer. No, does it say in Castro Valley? There was a disciple named, put your name in there. Is that how God would describe you? I think so. But that's where a willing heart begins. Let me give you a second trait of heroic willingness. Heroic willingness then continues with prayer. I don't know if you noticed as we read along this bilateral conversation of prayer that God and Ananias, they share in this passage. Verses 10 through 16, it's a conversation. It's a prayer. 
that God and Ananias, you know, just kind of are going back and forth. So let me just give you a principle. Prayer is the dialogue we have with God that moves our willingness. God uses the grace of prayer to help us become willing to do his will, to stand in the gap, to do things we've never done before. So let me give you three guidelines of prayer modeled by Ananias that I see here that we could grab onto for the growth of our prayer life. And as you pray this way, you'll become more willing. <clears throat> Number one, pray learning to say, yes, Lord, when God begins speaking. Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. Yes, Lord. When God begins speaking to you in your prayer life, and you begin hearing his voice, is your first response to him, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, or is it no? You begin hearing him speak to you from his word. And by the way, when you hear God speak to you, that's prayer. You're hearing God's voice. That's God communicating to you. Is your first response to be yes? You see, that is how God is he's wanting to train you to become willing. This Friday, I fly out to Cuba. I'll be in Cuba with a small team. And one of my favorite pastors all over the world is in Cuba. His name's Juan de Dios. And I guarantee when I meet Juan, he will say what he always says to me. I will ask Juan, I've gone to Cuba 14 times. I think it's my 14th time in Cuba. And, and I will say, Juan, do you think we can do this? And Juan's answer is always, yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 Pastor Mark, yes, yes, yes. It does not matter. Juan, do you think we could like do an outreach down there using, can we have a big old pig feed, man? Feed everyone pigs and share the gospel. Yes, 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 Mark, we can do it. Yes, yes, yes. The guy is the most yes, yes, yes pastor I've ever met in my life. The most positive pastor in the, in the history of Christianity. It's unbelievable. He's never said to me anything but yes, yes, yes. Then again, he doesn't understand English, so he probably doesn't understand. No, I'm just joking. I understand. But it's so great. He is an example to me. In your life, when God begins speaking, are you, yes, Lord, I'm listening? Then you're, you're cultivating a willing heart, like Ananias. And then pray, learning to listen to God. Look at verse 11. So here's Ananias' heart. He hears God speak to his heart. And he says, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. What, what can I, what, what's up? And look, the Lord told him. You see, if, if you have a yes heart, God will begin speaking to you and telling you what you should do. The Lord's told him, go to the house on Judas, you know, uh, of, of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, you know, uh, from Tarsus, for Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, you come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. So question here, does part of your prayer life include listening? If you have a yes heart, when God begins speaking to you and you're like inclined to say, yes, Lord, I'm listening, guess what? God will, God will speak to you. And he's going to reveal to you more, like the direction he gave Ananias right here. Prayer is not only one way, you talking. 
It is two ways. Otherwise, it's not prayer. If you think prayer is only talking to God, no wonder why you're frustrated and one, no wonder why it's not fun. And number one, no wonder why it's not fruitful. Prayer is always two ways. It's you talking to God and then you listening to God speak to you. It's at times you just being quiet and you listening to God, then you talk back to God. Um, it's not in your scripture there or in your notes, but <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this. Just listen to it. Do not be quick with your mouth. Wow, that speaks to me because I get paid to be quick with my mouth. But in my prayer life, Lord, help me not to talk a lot. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few, Mark. What that's saying is listen to God. Be in reverent, reverential awe of being in his presence. For me, uh, this is something that I have to be disciplined in. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal life. I mean, I know that you know that Tuesdays I pray and I fast and I seek God and I study. And I do a fair amount of listening in those times, but more talking and listening to God's word, but it's in study also. But Thursday's my day off. And oftentimes, not always, it's becoming more and more seldom, well, I golf in the morning. And then I always spend time, no matter what, with my dad. We read the Bible, we pray together. And then I will go home and my practice is my favorite book in the whole world, The Knowledge of the Holy. I've shared this with you before. I will read one chapter listening to God. This last Thursday, I read a chapter. It's on the attributes of God, this book is. And it reveals to me who God is. And I will read the chapter and meditate on that attribute of God. And I will listen. And then I will listen. I will spend hours listening to God. I'll talk to him, but I will listen. Listen, listen, listen. It's my day to listen, to be quiet. Tracy prays for me along these lines. And I just hear God speak to me about what he wants to speak to me. And I got to tell you, sometimes it's some crazy things the Lord says about what I should be doing. Like with Ananias. Hey, Ananias, go to the number one terrorist and share my love with him. And God speaks to me like he wants to speak to you. He talks to me about the nations of the world that I need to be visiting. And there's countries right now on that I'm getting ready to go into. That comes from God, just so you know. It doesn't just come arbitrarily. It's the Lord that's speaking. And so in your life, in my life, it's learning to cultivate this prayer life of, yes, Lord, I'm listening, and then listening to God deeply speak about what he's saying to you so you can become willing to do his will. And then the last thing is pray, learning to talk to God about your concerns. And I see this with Ananias. Lord Ananias answered, I mean, after God spoke to him about what he wanted him to do. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people. So it's all right to share your concerns with God when he speaks to you about some things that 
are challenging to you. Believe me, I've had many, many conversations with God and I share with him my concerns. And then God always comes back with an answer, like in verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. No, Mark, go. I want you to go. Yes. Maybe it seems dangerous, but I want you to go. Hmm. How do we develop a willing heart like Ananias to do God's will? Heroic willingness begins with the discipleship. Discipleship is the process of learning and following, which helps us develop a willing heart. Heroic willingness continues with prayer. Prayer is the bilateral conversation that helps us become willing. It's this back and forth with God that moves us, our heart, into God's will to become willing to do what God wants us to do and go where he wants us to go. Let me give you the third mark of heroic willingness. Heroic willingness climaxes with obedience. Heroic willingness begins with discipleship, it continues with prayer, but then it climaxes with obedience. And notice how Ananias demonstrated his willingness by his obedience to do what God asked him to do. And I, you know, I have to look at this, I go, was Ananias scared? I, I think he was. I think he was flat out freaked out to go where Saul was. And do I get this right, God? You want me to go where Saul is? He's the number one killer of Christians back then. His reputation was renowned. It was scary. And what, what I kind of see is obedience isn't the absence of fear. It is the presence of faith. And, and you look at verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. What does that look like for you? Then Chris, then David, then Linda went. What is the went for you? When will you do the went? What is it going to take? God is calling you. He's calling every disciple to do the went. Wow, it's scary. And yet he went. And he placed his hands on Saul. And I'm sure that was scary. Can you imagine? I hope he doesn't chop off my hands, you know? Put his hands on Saul's blind eyes. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Salvation is happening. He's seeing now spiritually and the scales falling off the physical you know evidence that now he's born again by the spirit of god filled with the holy spirit and then he gets up and ananias baptizes saul what a moment incredible obedience to god's request you know that is the clear-cut evidence that you and i have demonstrated heroic willingness when you and i willingly do what god calls us to do that's heroic, especially when you do something you've never done before. Like go into the home of a terrorist and pray over them, lead them to Christ and baptize them. Wow. Again, I want to give you that principle. Your willingness can lead to the greatest moment of your life. And this is so worth repeating, beloved. This was the greatest moment for Ananias' life. He goes off the pages of scripture after this. Don't hear anything. Ananias' willingness 
by the way, also turned out to be the greatest moment of Saul to become the Apostle Paul's life. The Apostle Paul would later write about this moment on numerous times, testify it. Actually, what Ananias did is written in Scripture. That is actually recorded in the Word of God because Ananias was willing to go. I love it. One of the most heroic things you can do is be willing and called upon by God to stand in the gap. Hmm. This directly applies to your life. If this isn't applying to your life, I say this in love, but I feel sorry for you. I really do. Because you're missing the heart of Christianity. You are caught up in religion. You are missing the point of your life to be used of God. To have a heart that is being cultivated by discipleship to learn and live, to be talking to God about his will for your life, then ultimately to step out in faith and be used of him in ways that you could never imagine possible. That is God. That is what he does. This is what he wants to do in your life and my life. What does that look like for you? We're gonna wrap up by talking about that. But I want you to just kick this around at your table first. You know, of the three principles of heroic willingness that we see, you know, from Ananias' life, which one most inspires you? Like, which one most speaks to you? These three principles about how we live out and cultivate a willing heart, which one is like most like, wow, pastor, this one's really speaking to me about something that I know I need to cultivate more in my life. None of us arrives at some perfect place in all this. Please don't misunderstand. We grow in all three of these areas all the time. But I wonder, what is it that God has spoken to you most this morning that's been most significant that you could share at your table that you feel God is speaking to you and you like to just kind of voice that out right now? Go ahead and talk about that. Go for it. Okay, let me uh, try to just bring this home. Let me just try to <clears throat> massage this into your heart in such a way that I can pray for you, that uh, you'll sense, God, you're speaking to me, and you'll know how to speak back to God and talk to God and walk with this message this week, into this week, as a hero of the faith. So this trait, one of the most heroic things you can do is to be willing when called upon. To be a hero of the faith, to be God's man or woman, doesn't mean you have to have great ability. It's just about being available, but having a heart that actually makes yourself available because we close down this world and the pressure and, and selfishness. And, you know, it's such a reflection of our heart when we're unwilling. It says what's feeding us and what's controlling us. Very heroic to be willing to be soft, to move where God wants you to move. So is God calling you to stand in the gap like he did to Ananias? Is there some area in your life right now, maybe over this last year it's been, you've been kind of resisting him, no, like a little baby, you know? 
or even recently, even in this message. Look at verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him. The most natural thing that happens when you choose to be a disciple is that you will begin hearing the call of God. If you say, nope, not going to be a disciple, my heart is unwilling to even listen and learn or, or learn and then live, if there's no living, you're probably not even going to hear the voice of God. But, you know, you begin cultivating that heart. God, it's so natural that God is wanting to speak to you. This is his heart's desire. You are his child, his disciple. He wants to talk to you about what he wants you to do. I wonder what that could be. God wants you to be willing. Is it willing to do something? Say something? Start something? Talk to someone? Go somewhere? Give something? I, I don't know. Start reading your Bible daily? Begin fasting? I mean, there can be a thousand things that God may be speaking to you about. And he's, he's just wanting to raise up within you a willingness, a willingness to move in that direction. And, and I just want to share with you that your willingness can be and lead to the greatest moment of your life, literally. The greatest moment of your life. Hmm. So we've looked at these marks of heroic willingness that's cultivated. It begins with discipleship, this process of learning and following that God uses to make us willing. That's the gym we go into, discipleship. And it continues with prayer, this bilateral conversation of talking and listening that God uses to make us willing. As we go deeper in prayer, by listening, talking, it's all about us becoming willing to do God's will where he wants us to go. And finally, that willingness climaxes with obedience, the evidence that we really have been willing is obedience in a certain area. So over this last month, can you point to some areas of obedience that you've walked this line of discipleship, prayer, obedience? You've actually done things for God that he's calling you to do. That is so exciting. That's Christianity. That's the relationship. It's thrilling. It's, it's heroic. And you know, it's just cool to me that God has made it simple and graspable because it's just, you know, becoming a modern-day hero of the faith, it's just one move of willingness away. That's all it is. One move. I look at verse 17. Then Ananias went. He did it. Your willingness can lead to the greatest moment of your life. Can I share with you just this thought? You know, beware of living a safe life. I pray that you would not live a safe life. Take chances. Take risks. It's called faith. Live dangerously for God. Go for it. You have one life to live. 
I want to leave everything on the floor for Jesus Christ. Everything. Every penny goes to him. Time, talent, and treasure, it's all unto him. There's only one poem that I've memorized. I remember hearing this story years ago. It was about, about a gal named Nancy. And, and I, I read this story, and it, it stuck in my mind, like, are you kidding me? So she died. Nancy died. And a reporter was called to go do a story on her life. And so he began to interview her family and friends and, and found out she really didn't do anything, like, bad. She really didn't do anything good. She just kind of took up space. And the reporter didn't know what to write about her in, like, the obituary about where she was buried and so ultimately he wrote this, here lies the bones of Miss Nancy Jones, for her life held no terror. She lived an old maid, she died an old maid, no hits, no runs, no errors. And I, I remember that's never left me and with great like, I do not want to live a life like Nancy Jones. Not when Jesus Christ died for me on a cross do I want to have no hits, no runs, no errors written about my life? I want to lay it all down for Jesus. I want to be willing to go do whatever, whenever, however. I don't always succeed, but you have to know that's my heart. And you have to know that's my heart for you. You are the sheep that God's called me to shepherd. One day I have to answer to God, to him for your life. I do not want you to live a safe life, keeping your cards too close to yourself, protecting your retirement, and keeping you from doing something awesome for God. Live like Juan de Dios. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 Lord. When's the last time, really? You, yes, 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 you've gone for it. You did it. Live that kind of life. Pray that I live that kind of life. I have three pennies and a dream from God to build an orphanage. Her, her supervisor said, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. Mother Teresa smiled and said, I know, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. With God and your three pennies, you can do anything. Yes, 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 yes. Live that kind of life. Be an Ananias, amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love these dear people. I just do. I don't know, Lord. I just get so moved when I see about what you're doing around the world and how Christians and disciples live globally, and they lay their lives down for you, O oh God, and we are just so protected in the United States. And Lord, you love our country. You love us. And we have so many opportunities, Lord. It's not easy to live as a Christian in the United States. Oh God, I pray that your people would hear your voice today. And whatever it is that you're wanting to say to us, Lord, about our lives, how we're living, what we need to be willing 
to do as you're speaking to us. Lord, I pray that you'd have freedom to do that work in our hearts right now. We're one move of willingness away for maybe the greatest moment of our life. Would you talk to God about whatever that is for you this morning just before I say amen? Just talk to God. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Send us out, Lord, to be the Ananiases you want us to be, God. Thank you that we belong to you. You have an amazing plan for our lives. We just want to follow you. Help us not make it complicated. Help us to follow you this week. All God's people said, amen. amen.